When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> the transfer window is part of the Daily Record Podcast Network. Subscribe at iTunes or Audio Boom. Good day. Welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast with the inside world on the biggest moves by the biggest movers and shakers in world football. And that's one driving past in his car right now. Talking to movers and shakers, we have Transfer Window regulars Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry joining me, Henry McRae, to talk through the latest transfer news with the August 31 deadline just one week away. There are so many big names being linked with even bigger deals. That's one going past in his moped. And we'll be asking questions like, was Oscar Wilde actually referring to Barcelona when he said that to lose one global superstar may be regarded as a misfortune, to lose two looks like carelessness or something like that? What about Cristiano Ronaldo? Is there any chance he heads back to Old Trafford or are Manchester United ready to pounce on a younger model in Thomas Lamar? Liverpool looked a bit lively going forward against Hockenheim, so shouldn't they just cash in on Philippe Coutinho and spend the money on a decent defender or two? And does Alexis Sanchez really have an abdominal strain? That's easy for you to say. Or is this the type of sore tummy that can only be cured by a Lancashire hot pot cooked by Pep Guardiola? Now, the noises you're hearing are straight from the front of the transfer window war. And it's Ian McGarry out shaking his, uh, <laughs> shaking his transfer thing in the main streets of Seville. What's am, going on here? And, 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 and those noises, that was actually Cristiano Ronaldo and his um, Bugatti speeding past me. Trying to get out of Madrid, obviously. He's desperate. Uh, <laughs> so well spotted that there, Henry. Um, yes, I'm here in Seville today. Just uh, can't say too much, obviously, but concluding a little bit of business before the window closes. Pleased to be joining you from the, one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Wow, and, you're always very welcome. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I, I, I think a uh, lot to talk about, obviously. Um, if we want to start with, with Cristiano, I can tell you that newspapers here in Spain, all the sports dailies, As, Marca, Deportivo, are all talking about Cristiano. Uh, Obviously, the response to the five-match ban that he was given um, for the red card in the Supercopa second leg. He said, Ronaldo, that is, said that he could understand um, why the ban was not reduced. And he has reiterated, not in quotations, it has to be said, but obviously through briefings from George Mendes, his agent, etc., and various other members of the uh, coterie, that uh, he feels his treatment in Spain is becoming increasingly unfair. Um, he is um, pointing his cannon at any administrator he can find, whether it be the tax authorities or the LFP uh, or anyone, indeed, who he thinks is doing him an injustice. Um, unfortunately, um, in terms of our great storylines, I-, I do not see Cristiano Ronaldo returning to Manchester United, uh, the place where he is intimated um, that he would uh, only consider going to um, if he left Real Madrid. I do think this is just more posturing um, from the great one um, regarding uh, 
trying to, if you like, not bully, but at least in a little, throws weight around a bit, put it that way, um, with the Spanish authorities, both in football and out with football, to say, look, do you really want to lose one of um, Spain's biggest stars in terms of um, the attraction that he obviously has uh, playing for Real Madrid and indeed the, uh, the money that is generated um, from Cristiano Ronaldo playing uh, in La Liga. Um, obviously, having lost Neymar to PSG, they could do with losing very, uh, any more Galacticos would be a, an absolute travesty. So that's my take on Cristiano. I'm sure that Duncan can certainly enlighten us with some more inside information with that. Yeah, look, I think Cristiano's situation's by no means resolved, certainly in the, in the longer term. Um, when, when the tax story broke earlier in the window, that, uh, that, that information that Cristiano had decided to leave Spain and decided to leave Madrid was absolutely genuine. He was, was completely serious about it, extremely upset with his, the, the treatment by the Spanish tax authorities and had to be talked down from his position by his um, advisors and by Real Madrid. Um, but as far as I understand, that's not gone away. It's, um, and in fact, I think it, it kind of broadens out into a bigger issue for Spanish football in that tax cases against their players are not limited to Cristiano Ronaldo. He actually has been the, the high-profile name to get hit after a series of cases against Barcelona players. Uh, most prominent of which was Neymar, who, um, surprise, surprise, has left this summer already. And the, the tax issues that he was facing because of the well, fundamentally illegal deal that Barcelona put together to get him to uh, Catalonia instead of Real Madrid from Brazil originally, were part of the reason that PSG were able to seduce him into leaving Spanish football, putting those tax issues behind him and moving to a different regime. And I don't think it's going to end there. I think with Cristiano, it's still very much a live issue. And if he, if he feels he continues to be maltreated by, by the Spanish authorities, he will look to move out of the, the league. And then you've got the most important figure in this from a Barcelona perspective, which is Lionel Messi who again has had tax problems, and again, it's a consideration in his future, which is nowhere near as fixed as um, Barcelona would have had us believe when they announced, I think it's six weeks ago now, that he would be on contract um, and remaining with the club for the next four years. And again on Tuesday, Duncan, another statement from club officials at Barcelona saying that um, they were absolutely certain that Leo Messi would sign his contract and that the, and the accord would be until 2022 and that they didn't foresee any problems. But again, missing that killer line, which is the actual signature on the contract, which, has not, which actually has not. And I've been following Duncan's um, brilliant reporting uh, over the last five or six days regarding Manchester City's interest in Messi. It's uh, a story which um, uh, I followed very closely uh, uh, from the last 18 months, in fact, when there were numerous meetings between Leo's father and his agent uh, with Manchester City officials, uh, who, of course, knew both uh, father and son uh, when they were in charge at Barcelona, uh, Chiqui Baguera, Stan and Ferran Soriano, who are sport director and chief executive of Manchester City, respectively. Listen, this isn't just a case of no smoke without fire. This is fire. I agree with Duncan. Um, 
I think just, just before, Duncan, why don't you uh, recap the news that you broke on the uh, Daily Record uh, website earlier this week on Manchester City meeting with Lionel Messi's representatives? Yeah, well, there was a meeting in a Barcelona restaurant um, last week. Uh, between uh, attendees for Manchester City were Chiqui Bergeristan and Ferran Soriano, so the two most important executives at the club. And then two representatives working on behalf of Leo Messi's father, Jorge, um, who wasn't attending the meeting himself, which I think is indicative of the care with which they were taking to try and avoid a direct link to Manchester City at a time when the situation is unresolved. But what that meeting was about, I'm told, is to assess where he stands with Barcelona, whether he is actually going to sign the contract which was announced by the club six weeks ago but hasn't been signed, um, and whether he would be interested a, in moving in this window if they were to pay the release clause, which although it's been reported in a lot of areas as 300 million euros, that's, that would be the release clause in the new unsigned contract. It's actually 250 million euros, the current release clause or whether he's prepared to wait for, um, for another year when he'll be a free agent and would be able to move to Manchester City for considerably less or some as a signing on fee. That is um, <clears throat> really, it's intriguing, uh, that whole scenario. Part of that is the fact that when the initial conversations with message representatives took place around three or four months of last season with a view to signing Messi in this window, um, the gripe which uh, Messi's representatives had presented was both the what they felt was the, um, <clears throat> the fact that he was being hounded for tax, um, which in their opinion was not due or had been paid in full. But interestingly, secondly, that Barcelona, in their renegotiation talks about his contract, when asked if they would be willing to pay the any indemnity on uh, a tax conviction said no we're not going to do it we're, we we are not and we they, they cited saying <clears throat> because barcelona are also a spanish taxpayer if they were to pay uh, the any fine that messi received and back tax that he owed then they would then be liable and potentially uh, <clears throat> they would be could be convicted for paying the tax on messi's behalf so um, what we know for sure is that Manchester City, A, as not a Spanish taxpayer, and B, as probably the richest club in the world, uh, outside of Paris Saint-Germain at the moment, um, would be willing to pay any indemnity with regards to the tax. Another reason why Messi would feel that he was loved by Manchester City and not so loved at Barcelona. OK, um, lots of bit touched there. Uh, let's get to some football. Um, Duncan, last week you were talking about Manchester United's their eye on Monaco's Thomas Lamar. Arsene Wenger's made a statement this morning. What's the latest news on Lamar and where he's likely to be next week? Um, well, Arsene Wenger gave a press conference this morning where he said, was asked about the Lamar deal, which is something Arsenal pursued the whole summer. And he, and he said it was dead as far as he was concerned. The argument he put was that Monaco were dealing with the imminent departure of Kylian Mbappe to PSG and Fabinho, who's also, um, I'm told, almost certain to join PSG as well, um, and therefore wouldn't be selling any other players. 
Um, I had a chat with a, a Monaco contact last night. I'm asking where things stood. He said that the Lamar deal is very much still on the table as far as they're concerned. Um, it is a possibility he leaves if the transfer fee they're looking for of 60 million is met. Um, the additional bit of information was interesting. Was asked where he thought Lamar, where he thought Lamar would prefer to go, Arsenal or Manchester United, and he was very clear. He said he wants to go to Manchester United. So that might not be unconnected with with Wenger's statement this morning in that essentially once Manchester United come in head to head with Arsenal the financial power is always going to be with the Old Trafford Club um, and also in this instance the attraction of Champions League football at Manchester United is there um, so I'm not saying he's going to end up at Manchester United but that, that is still a viable option if they can come to agreement on the fee before the end of the transfer window. And if we, um, it's Wenger's right in his statement and Lamar is going to stay at Monaco, do we think United's business is done or can we still expect them to move for an alternative player in the next few days? I think they're looking to see if there's an option that can work. There's no doubt that Jose Mourinho wants at least one, if not two more players. Um, uh, positions we've talked about in previous weeks in the podcast, left back and this winger, second line attacker. Um, Thomas Lamar is, is the, the, the primary candidate for that latter position with even Perisic a fallback option, but um, I, I don't see Perisic happening because the, the, the price is too high for the quality of player and he's never been first choice for the position. Um, a lot also depends on moving players out, as it has done since Mourinho arrived at the club. You know, Manchester United have got a top-heavy squad, um, and it is really difficult to get players to leave a club like Manchester United. You, you don't just say, oh, you're, you're surplus to requirements, um, please leave. You've got to find a buyer, you've got to find someone to take on the wages, which have become higher and higher under the, the Ed Woodward regime. And you've got to convince the player that it's in his best interest to leave. I mean, we've seen Wayne Rooney go after a year. You know, Mourinho worked an entire year to move that salary and that problem off the wage bill and out of his squad. But it, it's, it's no simple process. So unless they can move some bodies and get players in at the right price, then the squad might end up being as it is. But that's not, not yes. what Jose Mourinho wants. Here's, here's it, a scenario for you. Here's a scenario. They win their first two games 4-0. The board think your squad's good enough. We're not going to spend any more money um, as you were. United then continue on their good run, begin to dip in a couple of months' time. They approach the, the, December, the January window and they need a, a pick-me-up in the squad and there's uh, Griezmann sitting at Atletico Madrid suddenly available. Well, that's a, a big question there, Henry, because... You, and Griezmann, look, we all, it's well documented that Griezmann was Jose's primary transfer target for this window and that, that it was Griezmann himself who said no when he took the phone call from Jose Mourinho. Now, Jose Mourinho, in all the time I've known him, is uh, not a man, not a coach who takes rejection well. And 
I, you know, I'm not saying that it's impossible that Griezmann could still join Manchester United under Mourinho, but there are two major obstructions to that. One is the January window, as we all know, is the worst time to buy any player and do any yeah. deal, and therefore it could be even more expensive um, than uh, the one that they had agreed with Atletico uh, Madrid in March and April to sign Griezmann. The other thing is that Griezmann will himself be in the middle of a campaign, in the middle of a Champions League campaign as well, most likely. We don't expect then Atletico to go out before the uh, knockout stages. So, and again, he would be cup-tied to the Champions League. So I, I just I, I think that one's fanciful in terms of, I think, and Griezmann himself, of course, is young enough that a transfer would be much more likely in next summer's window. Um, with regard to your initial um, premise of, yeah, they've won two games uh, 4-0 and looked um, very, very good. Then they've a couple of dodgy ones. Well, I've never met a manager in my life, Henry, who, with whatever, seven days of the transfer window left, had said to me, oh, yeah, my squad's perfect, don't need anything more. A manager always wants something else. Yeah, but I, I was talking about the board, really, rather than the manager. I'm sure Mourinho no, wants I, to I think you may- I think you make a very valid point there, Henry. I think it is an issue. If uh, We've seen time and time again with Premier League clubs that a bad start can see them spending lots of money and a good start can restrict the spending or a good previous season. Uh, since we're talking about Jose Mourinho, <laughs> you look at his last season at Chelsea, which was uh, the, what initiated his departure from the club, was the club deciding that they knew better about transfers and the squad didn't need to be markedly improved because they just won the league. It's, it's, it's essentially the same scenario. Results yeah. are good, but we, we stick with what we've got. And I think with Manchester United, that it, it is an issue because I know Mourinho has been fighting with the board to get the right funding to do what he wants throughout this summer. And um, you've seen him talking on many occasions about the prices being too high and not being prepared to spend money on them. So, yes, winning your first two games 4-0 isn't going to help this scenario. On Griezmann, I I would just add that the reason he was the first-choice target was because he had a a defined buyout clause. Um, Manchester United knew that they could get the player... If, they paid the, if the player wanted to come, yes, but if they paid a set amount of money to Atletico Madrid, $100 million. And that was an attractive aspect. And one of, the, one of the points in Mourinho's reasoning when he was devising the recruitment list in the summer, because he was aware that if you went for a player of um, a defined transfer value, a Philip Coutinho, for example, the fee could easily become inflated by the buying club knowing that Manchester United have... Are, have one of the highest, well, at the moment, the highest revenue in football and a history of not negotiating deals very well. So, they, so he, he almost became the first choice by default because there was a, there was a price there. <clears throat> now, you have a situation where I, I, he's, he signed a new contract. I don't know what the, whether the buyout clause was released, the release clause was increased. Maybe Ian would have that information. But you'd also have to ask, if you're talking about a January deal, whether that release clause is valid in January. Because quite often, these release clauses have defined time periods. So even if you, we got into the scenario you discussed, Henry, I, I think there's a, there, there are a lot of boxes to be ticked. Um, and most important of those would be whether Mourinho would be prepared to go back to a player who's, who's turned the club down 
after they've done so much work trying to get their deal in place. I think as well on, on, on Griezmann, I wouldn't say that, I'd say that, I, I, I repeat, I don't think that that ship has necessarily sailed in the future. But I think it's important to remember that when Manchester United, for the majority of the time they were courting Griezmann and putting a deal together, um, Jose Mourinho believed that Zlatan Ibrahimovic would be his main striker in it, uh, for this season. And of course, yeah. he, he had that terrible injury. And so they were, pl- they were looking for their premium signing to be a second striker stroke attacking midfielder with Zlatan still at the point. Now, obviously, with um, the injury that Zlatan sustained and the fact he wouldn't be able to start the season, that priority had to change to a point striker and obviously Lukaku then signed. So there are many sort of derivatives and and, uh, permutations in terms of what business may or may not be done for Manchester United before the the window ends. What we know for a fact is, and we spoke about it last week, he wants a more versatile attacking midfielder to complement what he already has so that in a gruelling season of Champions League domestic cups in the Premier League, uh, and in a season which Mourinho himself has admitted will effectively, not define, but it will certainly shape his Manchester United career as coach um, because he has to win the big trophy, and that's Premier League or the Champions League, um, to prove uh, himself to be the man to take United forward. So, yeah, I think Jose Mourinho will be desperately trying to do business before this, the window ends. But what it might be is not the big sort of pre, uh, headline marquee signing. It may well be someone that is a wee bit off the radar and it will be someone who will do a job for him. And he's done that before at Real Madrid. He's done it at Chelsea. He did it uh, internationally as well. So um, it'd be good, I think, just look a little bit off the radar for United signings the next seven days rather than at Griezmann uh, and William and people like that. Yeah, and just add, add one thing. Ian's absolutely right that the, the priorities changed when Ibrahimovic got injured and that threw a huge spanner in the works. Um, the other thing I would add is if you watch the way they played in the first two games, Ogba as a number 10, as a secondary option when he changes his midfield. So he's brought Fellaini and Herrera on and allowed Pogba to move forward from one of those positions in front of the defence into a, a more attacking role just behind Lukaku, which has worked very well for them so far. Um, very much fits Pogba's qualities as a player. Okay, he's only done it in games where they've already been ahead. So it's, there's been space for him to play and they've scored a lot of goals quickly, which is allowed people to get carried away with the results, I think. But there's, there's potential in there for that to be a starting position for Pogba down the line. And if that it does become a starting position down the line, you can forget about Anton Griezmann because there's no point signing Griezmann if you're going to be using Pogba there on a regular basis. You spend the money elsewhere in the team. OK, well, another club who uh, seem desperate to spend some money. They certainly are bringing quite a lot in through the Neymar deal, but Barcelona... Uh, still seem to be very keen on Philip Coutinho. Liverpool looked really good uh, going forward last night in the absence of Coutinho, and they've still got Lalana to come into that team. So do you think that Liverpool are going to stand their ground, or is Coutinho likely to get the move that he so obviously wants? Liverpool have stood firm on two bids. They were very unimpressed with the structure of Barcelona's bid um, initially, which was only paying around 85, 86 million pounds up front, but then would promise to, in add-ons, take it up to around 126 million pounds. But um, keep going back to it, FSG 
their credibility is at stake here. Very rarely see a club make such a definitive statement as Philippe Coutinho will remain a Liverpool player when the summer transfer window closes. If they do sell him, then their credibility is shot. And it's not just shot as owners of Liverpool. It is affected um, as owners of several franchises um, in America and around the globe. So I I saw um, Duncan report that Coutinho was considering making a public statement, which, of course, would augment the transfer request he submitted um, to the club already. But all my senses are that he will not be sold and that we'll have a repeat of the Luis Suarez situation of three seasons ago where the club will promise to negotiate openly with Barcelona in a year from now in exchange for Coutinho giving another season and hope that that assuages his desire to move. I think I feel a bit sorry for Coutinho. I feel, as I said last week, a little bit sorry for Klopp because neither of them seem to be getting what they want. Klopp wants the player to play. The player wants to play at Barcelona. What we know for sure is that Barcelona continue to negotiate with Borussia Dortmund over Usman Dembele, and that is going to cost them probably around 150 million euros. And reports in Spain here this morning, in fact, are now linking Willian of Chelsea with a move to Barcelona as a possible Neymar replacement. So, what we again, that's I think probably speculation at this stage, um, especially as Willian was. Um, forbidden from moving to Manchester United when they made a bid earlier in this window. However, not selling to a rival and selling to Barcelona instead may prove to be more attractive to Chelsea, but then that leads us down the whole powder keg line of Antonio Conte in his state of mind. Um, So perhaps we should stick with Coutinho for now because, as I said, Duncan um, reported earlier this week that Coutinho would make up a public statement. Has that become any more close, Duncan? Look, I think there are, there are a lot of moving parts in this deal. I think, as we've already touched on, Barcelona are in a, a very, very poor state at the moment. Not only have they had Neymar taken against their, their will, they've got Messi not signing a contract, not even... I was talking this through with people earlier in the week. Since... Barcelona made that statement saying the contract would be signed um, when Messi returned for pre-season. And, and uh, listening to Sid Lowe earlier this morning, um, the, the Spain correspondent for The Guardian, and, and Sid pointed out that, that twice said on record that the deal was actually signed. <laughs> and, and as Sid pointed out, that the, the Barcelona have been seen to be lying to the supporters of the club about Messi. But they've got, they've got Neymar gone. They've got Messi not having even said publicly that he's going to stay at the club and holding off and signing a contract. And now, and they have a, a campaign to have the entire board removed from the supporters. So if ever a club needed to spend in the transfer market to try and, and uh, not, not simply um, assuage their supporters' concerns, but also probably assage the concerns of their most important player in terms of how good this squad is being, whether, whether, whether he has a chance of winning things in Spain and in Europe this season. Um, they need to do it. So if you're Fenway Sports Group and you see a club that has a lot of money sitting in its reserves and a desperate need to buy a player and has made it very clear to its fans that the player they want to buy is, is your player, then you would take it that to the wire. If you wanted the money, you'd take that as far as you could and make sure you got the maximum 
amount for the player and the, and the, and the price they asked for in earlier negotiations was 150 million euros. So let's park that and see that Fenway Sports Group might still be thinking and they might be playing a poker game of we, we try and maximise our income on this. For sure, Philip Coutinho still wants to go to the club. For sure, Philip Coutinho is being told by Barcelona that they will come back with another bid, which will be for 150 million euros, albeit not all of that up front, but with 110 million euros guaranteed, which is still an incredible sum. Uh, record transfer fee for Barcelona, record transfer fee for a, a player leaving the Premier League, one of the highest transfer fees of all time. And, and so there, where do you go from there from, from Philip Coutinho's point of view? Well, you hope that that bid is accepted this week and that you don't have to do any more than what you've already done, which is go on strike effectively for a month and put in a formal transfer request, which costs you loyalty bonuses on your current contract and puts you in a, a more difficult situation with the fans of the club you're leaving. But if that doesn't work, then you go to the next stage in the, in the sort of handbook of exiting a football club, which is to either give an interview or to give a press conference talking about to leave. And then you make a decision about how far you go in that press conference. <clears throat> are we thinking, you... Duncan, are we thinking Robinho here when he was leaving Real Madrid in tears? Do you remember that when he went to Manchester City? Uh, he gave a press conference at 11pm on the night the transfer window closed crying in front of reporters please release me it could have been Sidney Devine singing it and, <laughs> and and of course at the time it was Chelsea he wanted to go to but then Chelsea decided they didn't want to pay the increased fee that Real Madrid were asking and so City came in and bought him instead and it was it was a remarkable bit of football soap opera by anyone's standards and I'm just wondering uh, you know Coutinho a fellow Brazilian a very similar type of player and clearly an emotional young man Let's, let's maybe Sidney Devine should start, uh, you know, getting his voice warmed up. <laughs> well, you, you missed it. You just you missed out the recent addendum to that that funny story about Robinho, was, which was the interview he gave in Brazil, where he talked about how when he heard he was going to Manchester, he was, yes. he was all up for yeah. it because he thought he was going to Manchester United, and he didn't even know there was a club called Manchester City <laughs> in existence <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I think I think we should uh, actually clarify. I'm pretty sure. Please release me with Engelbert Humperdinck, wasn't it? Uh, my, my, my parents swear Sydney does a great verse. <laughs> Divine covers Humperdinck. That's an enduring image. So I bow to your expertise in that, Henry. It's not, not part of my record collection. So, you know, there's a player uh, in a similar situation, as we've discussed, to Coutinho and, uh, and Alexis Sanchez, formerly of the uh, Catalonian parish, why aren't Barcelona coming back in for Alexis Sanchez? Because he was he was an awful player for them <laughs> when he was there. <laughs> That's what I thought. We just wanted somebody to say it. Anyway, I think I think that's one ship that has sailed, Henry. Yeah, and yeah. it's not it's not returning. Um, saying that the coach that had him in Barcelona um, is is come back in for him, obviously at Manchester City. So how do we see that one playing out? I think that will there will be more news on that in the next few days. I think it's interesting that Wenger declared Sanchez fit to, to play um, on Sunday in a match against Liverpool, which um, gave him results. And this is something which, um, if I can just briefly return 
to the Manchester United directors. I'm pretty sure in the last, you know, in this last week, when every one of their so-called major rivals um, to the title has dropped points, and Manchester United have got maximum points with uh, eight goals to the good as well. That um, old Edward Wood and, and Colby slapping each other's backs in contentment and uh, self-congratulation that, ha, 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 haven't we done well with our transfer business because everyone else is already dropping points. Now, that is very foolhardy indeed, although in terms of the Manchester United board, they've shown themselves to be foolhardy in the past. So um, I would say with regards to Alexis Sanchez, I think it's still, still very much game on for Manchester City. It's a player that Guardiola does cover, I think, as a player as well, who he sees will improve his front four. Um, and also give him a bit of steel and metal that he believes that uh, his front line currently lacks. Uh, Sanchez is a warrior. He's been described as that several times. And as um, wonderfully creative the Manchester Manchester City front line is at the moment in time, they do lack a bit of steel. Um, And that's where Guardiola's um, interest uh, is intensified with regards to the Chilean international. Um, And I do think that uh, with one year left, Arsenal are and have always been a selling club. Um, and a bid of an, in excess of, sort of 60 million would be enough to seal it. So I think as well, uh, you know, football clubs sometimes can be almost inexplicable in the way they're run. Um, because you'd imagine when you're running a multi-million and sometimes multi-billion pound business, you will always have uh, a plan B um, ready, just in case something occurs, happens, which is going to upset uh, the plans you had for the season ahead. And here I'm talking about Coutinho and Liverpool and about Sanchez and Arsenal. Um, if indeed you suspect that even if your desire is not to sell, but it's in your mind that if you get an offer you can't refuse, you will sell, surely there must be a plan in place at both clubs to replace either Sanchez or Coutinho with a player of similar um, skill, talent, uh, positional ability as those two players, as those two players are most likely, are, I think are indeed, are the most important in those two particular teams at this moment in time. So I'm not saying it's true. I either, either have a plan B, but I'm saying that they should have. Um, and that's why I think that we might get a more exciting uh, transfer deadline day uh, this year than we've had in previous years because uh, by no means is everyone's business done yet. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of money still on the table and a lot of, uh, of deals that are linking in with each other and, and, and can provoke. Oh, provoke Johnny's one of the pinball. That's Cristiano. <laughs> he's, he's, he's just part of Bugatti. He's, he's now fitting some ceiling tiles in the shop next to where I'm sitting in the cafe. Guy's got to make a living. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to do he's trying to prove himself to the Spanish authorities as a good lad <laughs> a I hope he's declaring I hope he's declaring the tax on that, that extra work he's doing no, don't get back to tax we'll be that <laughs> <laughs> so um, Duncan were you about to add something on Alexis Sanchez or are we uh, moving on elsewhere I, I think I think Manchester City is definitely a club to keep an eye on in the last week of the window because the, the squad's far from complete um, you know, he, 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 they obviously need another centre back. Um, they they obviously want another striker. Um, you could see them buying a left back, um, and you can see them buying a, a link midfielder. Um, all of those are, are open positions in the squad. So 
I'm not saying they're going to do all four, but I'd be surprised if they don't do any, particularly as they're on record as saying there will be more players coming in. Um, what, what I've been astounded by in the first two games from Manchester City is the formation that Pep Guardiola is playing. Um, that squad has got more um, creative white players in it than any other squad probably in Europe at the moment. That the, stri the absolute strength of that squad is in the, the attacking midfielders and the wide players. And somehow Guardiola has managed to come up with a formation where he plays no attacking wide players, or rather he plays one of his attacking wide players as a, as a wing-back, and probably the one that you would least expect to be capable of doing that, Leroy Sani, and then uses Kyle Walker as the other wing-back, leaving most of his attacking players on the bench. And then he's got three centre-backs playing when he's only got three centre-backs in his squad at the moment that he trusts. And he has John Stones, who's the most uh, the best passer of the ball amongst those three, playing in the centre and being asked to sit back while the other two move up the field. And we saw this in the game against Brighton in particular, where Brighton were allowing the uh, Otamendian company to come forward and make passes because they knew they weren't very good at making passes. Um, it's just a bizarre use of resources. So, if he's going to carry on that way, he definitely has to sign another centre-back. And you'd, you'd think he'd want a, a proper left-back to cover for Mendy when he's injured. OK, well, we can expect some more business from uh, Manchester City in the next few days. Ian, Ian raised William and is being linked in the Spanish press with Barcelona. Seems uh, crazy that... Uh, We'd be seeing some of Chelsea's best players leaving the squad, considering the, the news we've been hearing over the last few weeks. How is this going to be resolved in the uh, coming days? Is Conte going to get what he wants? Are we going to have a happy little Conte next week? Or is it going to be a few men Italian? I think I, I can't see him being happy, Henry. I just, you know, this window, uh, not just this window, this summer has been, it's been chaotic. It's been notable for the lack of activity for Chelsea in terms of incoming players and for the, um, the amount of players who've left Chelsea either on loan or, on, or sold to the point where, you know, we, we talked, I think, a couple of weeks ago about Conte sending messages to the Chelsea board by having uh, Thibaut Courtois take a penalty in the Community Shield and then also by um, starting 11 players uh, who, none of whom uh, were being replaced by the three new players they bought. Now, that did happen against Tottenham last Sunday at Wembley and obviously they got a, a very much needed win against a very fancied rival, um, albeit in sort of uh, dramatic stroke, unfortunate and fortunate circumstances. Conte uh, played the PR game in the last few days by saying he wants to beat Chelsea for a long time. Uh, I think we can take that with, as being tongue-in-cheek. Um, Conte will do exactly what, what he wants with regards to his time at Chelsea, when it ends, will be his decision, unless, of course, results are so poor that he does uh, go the way of uh, Roman Abramovich's bullet, as every other coach at Chelsea has. So um, I do expect there to be two or three more signings. I suspect there'll be another defender. There'll be an, an auxiliary striker. I think Butchwire was exposed again at Wembley as being someone who, who can't, uh, can't play as a forward, as a point striker in Conte's formation. He just isn't physically big enough, doesn't show enough or give enough um, for the rest of the team for him to be 
someone who would get the 20-25 goals a season that Diego Costa returned last year. Um, so I'd expect a striker to um, back up Morata, uh, a defender, possibly the left side. Could still be Danny Rose, because as we know, Daniel Levy keeps his uh, cards very close to his chest and will only sell right at the last to get the premium amount of money. And um, he will do so again. Um, so I would expect two to three signings, possibly another midfielder as well, because obviously, um, having sold the Manu Matic and being taunted about doing so um, somewhat uh, every day, I think, wasn't it? The Neville brothers have been posting tweets about uh, thanks very much for Nemanja, Chelsea, etc., etc. Um, I think there'll be a midfielder coming in as well. So, again, the transfer committee at Chelsea is a lawn to itself. It doesn't listen to the manager or the coaches. They'll just be they'll just provide players uh, that they want to buy and say get on with it. So, as uh, I, I say, it wouldn't be a very happy Antonio Conte um, when that window slams shut. Yeah, look, I, I think the result against Tottenham was very important for Conte's mood. I think if he'd lost that game, as we discussed last week, he'd, he'd have descended even into even deeper fits of despair and anger, throwing, throwing it around the, the training ground and, and at the players. So that it's kind of let off some steam there. But I, I don't see any way in which he ends up this window happy. If you, if you look at the names that Chelsea are briefing as targets at the moment, you've got... Um, Oxley Chamberlain, who, yes, I can under, I could see that being a, a signing that Conte would be on board with because he's he is flexible. Um, and physical tactical, Duncan as well. Physical, yeah. Um, uh, Drinkwater as a midfielder, I I cannot see that being Conte's choice of, of central midfielder. And Ross Barkley, I, again, I I don't see that as an as a as a, a transfer being driven by Antonio Conte. This discussion of Willian going to Barcelona does intrigue me because Willian is represented by the same agent as Philippe Coutinho. It would make sense to me, I don't have any solid information on this, it would make sense to me that that agent could have proposed an altern- a player yes. of his own as an alternative if, if they cannot get the deal through Liverpool. Chelsea were to sell Willian, then they'd want to sell him outside England, so it ticks a box there. If they were doing a deal like this at this stage after Barcelona had made such a large offer for Coutinho, they could expect to make a huge sum on the transfer, certainly more than they would have got from Manchester United for the player. And, and we've seen with Chelsea, they, are, they have a history of, of They're a selling in. club? They're a selling club? Yeah, they're a selling club. They cash in on their, on their better players when a good offer comes in. And they were prepared to do that with Diego Costa last summer. They instructed the agent involved in that deal to secure them 150 million in the summer in January. They'd, they'd sell them for 150 million then. The money didn't come come. And 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 that part of what part of what went on then is the genesis of where they are with Diego Costa now, with him threatening to sue the club and refusing to train, and them effectively having sacrificed the best striker in the Premier League alongside Harry Kane um, for a guy who's never played in the Premier League before and Michi Batshuayi, who, a guy who their manager didn't trust to play, I think, any more than 45 minutes in the Premier League last season. So where do they go to raise cash so that they can make some transfers and maybe give Conte one or two of the players he actually wants himself? Not impossible, not impossible. But will Antonio Conte be happy at the end of this window? No way. Also significant as well that 
I was told by uh, one of the Chelsea players last night that they expected uh, Aiden Hazard to return to training um, either today or tomorrow, um, though he won't be fit to play um, after that broken ankle uh, is sustained in uh, training with the Belgium national team. He is expected to return and be fit to play within two weeks. Um, that being the case, obviously, makes the sale of William a little more simple. I agree with Duncan um, that agents often work this way, that clearly uh, there's a massive commission involved for the agent of Filippi Coutinho uh, should the player move. However, if the agent senses that Liverpool are indeed the immovable object when it comes to that sale, then it's very natural for to say, well, do you know what, do you fancy this guy because he's on my books and he is movable. Now, I don't think it's any coincidence that, that the reports have surfaced this morning here in Spain with regards to William and Barcelona. I think William would fit in possibly even better than, than Felipe Coutinho would because what we know for sure is Coutinho was not being bought as a replacement for Neymar on the left side of the, of the, of the trident. He was being brought in as a long-term replacement for Andres Iniesta to be the playmaker in central midfield, which means that with Iniesta contracted until the end of the season, Barcelona could afford to wait until next summer and sign Coutinho under much more comfortable, friendly circumstances, but replace Neymar, Neymar's goals and Neymar's movement and Neymar's creativity and assists with someone like William, who's got that electric pace as well, and have a reasonable season or reasonable chance of a good season. Um, and then just hold off for Coutinho next summer. Look, I think from a football perspective, it makes sense. If you get Willian at a reasonable price, that, that is probably a better addition to the Barcelona squad than Coutinho is. From a PR perspective, which is the perspective that Barcelona are actually working from at the moment, I think it, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for them because you... you Willian is not a glamour player. He's not a guy that they've, they've built up to be uh, a, a design target for the club this summer. Um, he would be seen as someone who, if you look at the number of games he played for Chelsea last season, he wasn't a first choice for Conte. He was, he was basically the, the, the 12th man, the guy he brought on as his substitute winger or used in yeah, games. Yeah, he was Pedro, Pedro replacement, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a guy if Pedro or Hazard was unavailable, then he would get a game and he'd come off the bench. So, in many ways, he is he's expendable from there. So, so to bring that in as your as your man to replace Neymar doesn't look good for the board. And what the board needs at the moment is to look as as good as possible because they are they're very you know their future's on the line here. Okay, well Chelsea obviously uh, turned over Tottenham at the weekend. Um, bit unexpected in Tottenham's first appearance, home appearance at Wembley. Does that expose some limitations in the Tottenham starting eleven, and and can we see some activity to Tottenham over the next few days? I think what we know from um, experience and history, Henry, is that uh, Daniel Levy is a man who leaves his shopping late. It's something which has been to both his advantage and disadvantage. Um, there's no you know, uh, blueprint for a successful transfer window spend or indeed sale. Um, but what we know is that Daniel Levy, as a chief executive chairman, likes to um, wait for the market to uh, pan its, its, uh, its way through the first sort of seven, eight weeks and then spend 
and indeed sell when uh, there's only two or three days left. And so you, therefore you're in a situation where uh, your selling club needs to sell and therefore will accept a lower price. Uh, or indeed, if you're or Daniel Levy and you're, and you're selling a player, he'll accept only the highest price. So um, a little bit of kind of what's good for you isn't necessarily good for me from, from the Tottenham chairman. But Pochettino has said himself, going on record, as saying he needs at least two more players and expects two more players to come in. And I suspect that that would be to um, uh, beef up the wing-back positions, certainly left-back if Danny Rose does go. Uh, obviously, Kyle Walker's already left, um, and that was a key part of their title challenge in the last two seasons, so that needs to be addressed. I think also um, where goals uh, are flowing from Harry Kane, um, maybe, just maybe, you can't expect Son to have as successful a season as he did last year. Um, also, Christian Eriksen chips in with a lot of goals, but again, cannot be guaranteed. So I think we'll be looking for goals from attacking midfielder, so I think that'll be a position where Tottenham look to strengthen. So, uh, so the there's obviously just done a club record deal on on Donaldson Sanchez, forty million. Is that? Are you saying there'll be more defenders coming in on top of him? I, I think on wide defenders, Henry. Yeah, I think Davinson can play at left side. Um, but you've got what you've got. Tottenham is the best defence in the Premier League, and uh, certainly last season. I think maybe possibly the season before as well. So the fact that they're strengthening that. Um, is an answer to the fact that Kyle Walker has been sold to Manchester City. And as I say, I suspect Danny Rose may well get his, his way and get out of, of Tottenham as well. So what uh, Pochettino will have at his disposal is effectively six players for four positions um, with another one coming in, and that will be enough. But as I said, I think attacking midfield and or second striker will be somewhere where I would expect to see Tottenham um, buy before the window closes. Yeah, look, I, I think the, the Davison Sanchez deal was a remarkable one from Daniel Levy. Um, they, they paid 42 million euros straight up for a player who's had one season in Dutch football to bring in a centre-back. So it's a club record fee. I'm way over the, the kind of deal that, that Levy usually does. I mean, he's, very, he's usually a very astute buyer. Um, gets gets excellent players in at low prices and waits for their, their value to increase. So it's an interesting one for me, given that um, Toby Alderweireld is a target for Chelsea um, and other clubs, has had, had inquiries from other clubs in the Premier League and also an inquiry from Inter Milan, and is dissatisfied with his contract situation at the club, uh, feels he's significantly underpaid. Um, at £49,000 a week um, thinks he can get substantially more than that at another club and is reaching the point in his career where he needs to get that big contract very similar to the kind of things Danny Rose was saying in his, his infamous interview a couple of weeks ago um, I understand that Levy hasn't even been prepared to make him a counter offer on a, a contract as yet um, he's waiting for the window to close to take that possibility he hopes of a, of a, a bid coming in from somewhere else out of the negotiation process. And, and I'm told Alderweireld is very unhappy with the situation. And it's, it's kind of a theme within the Tottenham squad. You know, we, we saw these stories after the, the Danny Rose interview that when he returned to the dressing room the next day, he was applauded in by the Tottenham players. And that led to some discussion. You know, we had Alan Shearer on, on, uh, on BBC television saying that 
Tottenham players. Very few Tottenham players, if any, deserved a pay rise because they hadn't won anything. Um, and in these couple of opportunities they've had to, to take the Premier League title in the last couple of seasons and, and therefore they should just shut up and get on with things, which I, I personally found a bizarre statement from a, a man who's, who's been in the top level, involved in the top level of football for so many years because there is, like any other business, there is a market value. People know their worth. Um, it is certainly not the case that the, um, the condition for an improved contract is that you have to win a trophy. And, and, you know, we all know that Tottenham Hotspur finishing, being the, the closest contenders for the title to Leicester City two seasons ago and finishing second in the Premier League last season was, was an exceptional performance given the, the, the depth of squad they have and the wage bill they have compared to their competitors. So if, if there are any players in the Premier League that deserve um, superior contracts, then Tottenham have got to be very good candidates for it. And that... That has to be a big issue for Daniel Levy to deal with um, through this window in terms of, you know, the other aspect of what Danny Rose was saying was he wanted to see proper players, players he didn't have to look up their name in Google, coming into the club to strengthen the squad to give them a chance of, of winning a trophy. Um, and and I, think, I think that argument's right. I think that the thing that Tottenham have lacked no matter how good their squad is and how good their manager is, there are no winners in there. Nobody in that squad has been a winner of a major trophy as a, as a starting player in, in a team. And sometimes you need that extra element to get you over the winning line. It's that experience of the, the difference there is in, in doing well and actually winning something. And I, I think Ian, when, you, when he goes through um, Frank Lampard's biography talks very eloquently about the difference and the importance that a coach can make and, and winning players can make in turning a team with lots of quality into, into actual title holders. Indeed. And, uh, Indeed. Of, course, Josie, and uh, of course, Josie Mourinho was the man who inspired that. And uh, here I am, and I don't often get a chance to say that, this, but with some pathos sitting in Seville, arguably the city that launched Josie Mourinho into the superstar coach that he is because it was here that he completed that first ever European trophy, uh, the UEFA Cup with Porto when beating um, the legendary Glasgow Celtic side which contained Henrik Larsson in uh, the final in 2003. Went on to be, uh, I think, one of the first, maybe the first coach to then win the Champions League in the next season with Porto. Um, and look where he, he's gone from there. So... Um, I think it's true. If, you, if you're looking for winners, um, then Mourinho's the one that you, you want on your side. And uh, for wrapping up um, this particular uh, chat, then uh, with Mourinho sitting top of the, the Premier League, then uh, perhaps that's a, a sign. Me okay. and Seville, Josie and Manchester. <laughs> well, one guy who's uh, no longer in Manchester is a player that Josie sold, obviously, and that is Wayne Rooney, who... You know, this week re uh, retired from international football, but has started at his uh, second spell at Everton in, in great form, a score on both games. Is this going to be one of those inspired signings that um, we see a rejuvenated Rooney throughout the season, or do we just think this is a, uh, a bit of a boost at the start and they'll fade as he's, as he's done in, the, in previous seasons? I would, I would love... I'd 
I'd love to think it, you'd see that through the season, but that requires Wayne Rooney to keep himself fit and stay focused on football for the entirety of a season. And he hasn't done that for quite a long time. Maybe returning to, to the club he, he supports, the club he grew up in, the club whose pyjamas he wears to bed, will, will be the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, so we see that, that Wayne Rooney again. I mean, I, maybe I'm being cynical, but I thought the way he from international football yesterday was, was, was quite contrived in a sense that he'd been interviewed after the Everton game, asked about the, the rumoured return to the England national team and said he was expecting a call from Gareth Southgate. And he waited for that call and then told him, no, thank you very much. I'm not, I don't want to play for you again. So <laughs> I think there was an element of revenge Absolutely. served up by Wayne. Absolutely, Duncan. That was, a, that was a direct response to the fact that Southgate took the captaincy from him, one of the first things he did as England manager, and then dropped him from squads altogether. And that was when he basically saying, do you know what? I, my place in the history of the England national team is secured. Let's see what you can do, mate. And I think we all know who's going to come out on top on that one. OK, well, Wayne Rooney might wear his Everton pyjamas, but I know that Duncan's keen to get into his Dundee United ones, and, and Ian's quite partial to the green and white Celtic pyjamas. Me, I don't wear pyjamas, but that's a different story altogether. We'll finish what we with, don't uh, want to hear, Henry. It's a good job. This is audio, isn't it? It is, indeed. So, finish with uh, uh, what's becoming... Uh, uh, a regular slot where we give you a quick fire round. This week I thought we could do deal or no deal or deals or no deals. If I uh, shout out a club, tell me whether they are going to do any business and what that business will be over the next seven days. So, gentlemen, start with you, Duncan. Manchester United. They'll try and do, try and do a deal, maybe more than one deal. Thomas Lamar, top target. Um, and try and move some players out. Ian, Manchester City. Alexis Sanchez, deal. Duncan, Chelsea. Uh, Danny Drinkwater, deal. Antonio Conte, disappear. Some, <laughs> some, some time down the line and, and probably not very far. Ian, Liverpool. No deal, Philippe, you continue to leave. Deal, defender to come in, central. Duncan, Arsenal. Deal, they'll, they'll try and shift as many players out of that um, overweight squad as they can. Mustafi definitely out, I suspect. Deal. Ian, Hamilton, academical. I have turned down terms on my first uh, contract offer, but I expect my deal to be completed by Thursday. <laughs> Hamilton were very good last week, I've got to say. Beat Hibs 3-1. Uh, Duncan, Tottenham. Uh, deal. Anyone in particular? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> if I had someone in particular to tell you, I would have. Uh, Ian, Barcelona. Deal, Usman Dembele. Duncan, PSG. PSG, lots of deals. Kylian Mbappe, probably Fabinho. Um, quite possibly moving Lucas Moura out to Monaco as part of the Kylian Mbappe deal. And Ian, your favourite, Rave Rovers. Diego Costa, very close, I'm told. He's already look, been looking at houses in the Fife area. Um <laughs> Obviously, he needs one with a private beach so he can play football, but um, I think that one will go through by Wednesday. I can see him kissing the Raid Rovers badge soon. Diego's a big fan of Linoleum. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's easy for you to say. I shan't try it. 
I was struggling with abdominal at the start, so we'll leave it at that. Gentlemen, as always, it's been fantastic. Um, we've got one week left of this current transfer window. We'll try and give you an update on Thursday morning before the, uh, the final day, and then we'll be back hopefully the next day to look at the window and how things go from there. Uh, hopefully the podcast will continue and the weeks and months ahead. It's uh, a pleasure to have you with us every week and we hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening.